Buffering. You are now listening to The Stream Team. Welcome back to The Stream Team, Episode 5. Two cousins kicking it and talking about those who kick it. And by it, I mean a football. I'm Cal, and joining me today is my clever cousin and co-host, Sean. Do we get the D? When is it time for the D alliteration? Oh, I got a lot more C where that came from. <laughs> You're going to have to wait for D. That's going to be next season, maybe. The delusional dumbass. That's that's for D, though. You'll yeah. call me a delusional I need to dumbass. give you a title that starts with D, though. Yeah, that's true. Because cousin starts with a C, which is convenient. There's another C. Convenient. My convenient cousin. Just spelling like crazy so far. You come here for your English lessons. Football's back from international break. Not that it left, but domestic leagues are back. It felt like it left. It it did. It felt very void of proper football. I don't It's... It's not even like the proper foot. Like I feel like international is like it's always good because guys really like to play for their country. It's just like why? Like I understand that in this case it's like World Cup qualifiers or Europe qualifiers or whatever it may be, but like it's still a pandemic for one, and like there was all sorts of rules and restrictions that prevented certain players from going certain places. Cough. Cough, Argentina, uh, Argentina, Argentina. <laughs> Not to mention you get the injuries, but like, why do they release them for like a series of friendlies, for instance? That's not like this particular time, but like they do that. And it's like, what's the point? Like you're literally just like, you could be playing club football this week. This is a waste of time in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I think it's not that we question the need for international football, but it's just like the timing is weird. Uh, it's we- like we waited the summer to watch and then four weeks in and they're like, yep, two weeks off. Here you go. International break. Like, and, and yes, world cup qualifiers are necessary, but do they have to be spread out so much? Does there have to be so many games? Like we we sat here watching uh Canada, USA and CONCACAF for instance, and in CONCACAF, the second round of qualifying is eight teams, and they all play each other twice, so it's 14 matches. Does it really have to be that involved, that many matches? Yeah. Could it be more streamlined, maybe? Or could they like do it even more condensed in like the summer? Like I realize people would think, like, oh, you got to give these guys, and I agree, you got to give these guys a break. You can't just have the equivalent of a major tournament and games every single summer, but. I don't necessarily think this; these are games that should be played during club seasons a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it was cool to see Canada play the U.S. That was a good game. That was a really, really... I was, I was pleasantly surprised with the quality of football in that game. Not that I don't think that... It's just, you know, we're not exactly... It's not exactly England versus France. <laughs> But but it was such a good game. I mean, uh, I think, honestly, I would say from your guys' perspective, you probably 
wishing you got three, maybe put in a little bit of a better performance. But from the Canadian perspective, we were great. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, you, you thought it was really good. I thought it was a good game overall, but uh, it was definitely a bit frustrating on my end. And, you know, we that's partially because the U.S. men's team started out by tying El Salvador 0-0 before that. So then every consecutive game after that is more important because you, you there's pressure to qualify and you got to get those early points so you have a good foundation but I was impressed with the quality of play in the game I will say and something I find interesting is that our best player is arguably Christian Pulisic and he did well um, he was getting fouled a lot he was very involved and I think that was his first game after having COVID so maybe he's a little bit out of shape but I did notice that Alfonso Davies carries your team so much harder. Like your best player, he literally just put the team on his back. He's a left back playing left wing, goes on a tear so incredibly fast, and then puts a ball on the plate for Canada's goal. Yeah, Alfonso's something else. I mean, he. What does it say that he he wasn't? It's not even like he's going up against some scrub. This is the starting right back for Barcelona. Serginho Dest, like, he's not, I mean, he did go off injured, right, at one point? Yeah, I think at the time. Um, and then Yedlin came Yedlin, in? Yeah, Yedlin might have been on, but Yedlin's known to be pretty fast, and, like, he's decent. It's no, He's no scrub. Like. Yeah, Yedlin is, is, is one of the faster players around, or at least was in his younger days. And, I, like, what does that say? Like, the left side, like, whether it was Dest or, excuse me, um... Yedlin, like, they look genuinely terrified when Fonzie started running at them. Like, he's... But what I love is he's not he's not just pace. Like, he's... You know, he's as fast as Adema Traore, but they joke about, like, oh, just wait till Adema has to cross it or shoot. It'll go out for a goal kick. Like, Fonzie's crossing is... He finds players right on their foot in dangerous areas in the box, and, I yeah, I, I can't say enough good about... Alfonso Davies. But yeah, that, another funny thing, um, just something I saw that was mentioned as a comparison to that game was uh, having to figure out a way to build a side around a left back while dealing with a scary imperial global power to the south. Canada really are the Scotland of North America. <laughs> uh, so like a little comparison to Scotland-England with the Canada-USA game. That's pretty accurate, actually. But yeah, it was nice to see uh, Canada and U.S. play because I guess Sean and I get to see Southampton and Tottenham play each other two to three times a year, and that's always fun and interesting. But uh, I can't remember a lot of other times we've gotten to see Canada and U.S.A. play. For sure. And like for Canada even to be relevant right now, like we're knocking at the door of a World Cup, which I think would only be our second or third time, and that's really exciting. Yeah, right. Um, After the, the first three matches of CONCACAF qualifying, I believe... USA, Canada, and Panama all sit on five points, so tied for second, third, fourth, and then Mexico's up top at seven points, so looking pretty good. I, I hope to see uh, both Canada and USA qualify for the next World Cup. Um, Mexico's probably a shoe in there, but... Yeah, but would be it would be great to see for North American football. Soccer. Sorry, can't call it football here. Personally, if there's a fourth team i'd like to see qualify it's uh jamaica oh yeah i think that they could be really fun they started off like shit i mean they have one point and 
they were lucky to scrape that one point, to be honest. I mean, th there's still time for them to climb, but uh, something fun with them is a lot of the English players with Jamaican heritage who haven't made it to the English national team for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, didn't Mikhail Antonio up and decide to play for Jamaica? Yeah, so actually, I, I haven't heard a lot about it, but apparently he debuted for Jamaica over the past international break. So uh, That's amazing. Right, so you got Bailey who was already Jamaican, but he plays for Aston Villa. Um, Nathan Redmond from Southampton declared uh, Mikhail Antonio. So a lot of these fun English players are going and declaring for Jamaica. So if they were to make it to the World Cup, we could see a really strong Jamaican side potentially. Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. And and it would be better than seeing, it, quite frankly, it'd be better than seeing like Panama or somebody come and like, I mean, do you see the football that they play? They are rough, like they, yeah. and and it's not only are they rough, they like it's like they foul on every play, and then every time you touch them, they go down. So it's like, well, which which one is it? You know, I do think it's interesting. Uh, this is like the first time it, for the U.S. definitely, and for Canada partially as well that we have a lot of European players, meaning like players that are playing abroad in the top leagues in Europe. And I think they're used to a different standard of refereeing. Oh, yeah. When you go and play in CONCACAF, like you literally have to murder somebody on the field, like <laughs> two foot them in the face to get a yellow card. Like the stuff that the refs let go in CONCACAF is actually hilarious. So there's your uh, international break roundup. So it was, it was actually. Oh, no, there's more. It's shit. The, everybody got hurt. Like Spurs lost half our fucking starting 11. It's terrible. I mean, two of them. Oh, well, they're not in our starting 11, but we lost the two Argentines and then Davinson Sanchez to quarantine. They're off in Croatia, like, quarantining. And then half our team got, like, Bergwijn got injured, Son got injured, Skip got injured. It sucks. That's, that's the worst part of the international break is players get hurt and it affects their clubs and it's unfair to the clubs and the fans. Okay, now we're done. <laughs> All right, so we'll head back to Europe then, specifically, and we'll talk about some of the results in the Champions League this past week. Champions League is up and running. There were some good matches, uh, some upsets for sure, some of the big big guns, the favorites. But Ronaldo scored. True. <laughs> Ronaldo did score a goal against Young Boys before they lost 2-1. <laughs> Manchester United, that is. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a Swiss team called Young Boys. I tried to look into the history of why you might call a professional football club, and to be honest, it's like the one of the best Swiss clubs, Young Boys, and apparently it was in rebellion against a club called Old Boys. That's, that's the story. Well, fuck. So, yes, if you hear <laughs> Young Boys, if you hear Ronaldo scored against Young Boys, no, he did not go into the local park and score against some young lads uh on a, on a nice sunday in britain it was Can, young boys the swiss champions league team who actually upset united and won 2-1 with a late game winner from an american striker pfock which is cool oh uh, um but i really do think a lot of united's problems were on display in this match uh aaron wandasaka getting a red card early in the first half, one of the weak spots, uh, right back. And the real, real thing for me was 
Ole just looked so inept managing that game. The, the subs he made and the direction he took the team after going down to 10 men, like they just deserve to lose based on that alone. Like you go down, if you concede a goal and you sub off all of your goal threat, and I don't know, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I'm, I, I do think that despite the wealth of talent at uh, United's disposal, they, they are, I would say their weakest spot is literally their manager. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh and no, CDM. Their them... their weakest spot is CDM, and then their manager. Sure, but of what they can change right now, uh, <laughs> their manager's the definitely the weak link, and that's that's pretty big when you look at the other clubs competing in the top four. I mean, Chelsea, Manchester City, and Liverpool all have phenomenal tactical and man managers. Like mm-hmm. they they just are a level above Ole. And, like, the, people joke about Ole and call him, like, a PE teacher, and I think that's harsh, but, like, he just looks lost at times. Like, he doesn't have the plan B. He has all these amazing, talented players, but the tactics just aren't up to par. Agreed. Um, City, though, big result, uh, 6-3 against Leipzig. It's just, like... I mean, could this be the year that they finally do it? I don't think so, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's always that. There's always gonna be that. What if Pep played at the center defensive mid in the Champions League final? Question for City fans, but yeah, instead of just a four-three-three with six box-to-box midfielders in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but obviously City really want to go out there and win the Champions League. That's like top of their list. It's got to be, and Pep definitely very hungry to do that with them as well. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting game, Leipzig versus City. Like, Leipzig are a good team. They're a top three team in Germany, so they're no joke. And uh, I, you got to feel for Christopher and Konku for Leipzig, who scored a hat trick just to see his team lose by right. three goals. I don't think it, very often you score a hat trick and also lose by a hat trick. Like, that's that's pretty amazing. I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, City were just scoring at will, and as they do. Um, actually kind of funny, after the game, Pep pleaded that fans come out to the Eddie Head this weekend for the match against my Saints. Oh, he's, so he's scared. That's what it is. Well, he's terrified. Also, he's just strategy. like he's also just calling out to like all twelve of them because like you know he needs the support. He's like, I, you know what? I only saw six of you today, and I want the other six there on Saturday or Sunday, whenever it is. Because yeah. there's yeah. actually only twelve people that support City. Yeah, City have no fans. That's that's the joke, guys. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of. Uh, I uh, yeah. I'd say it's true. I I for a team as big as they are, like I way too often see that stadium not full enough, and their away support is pathetic. Like I would say though that they do have a, a pretty good support base in terms of like North American market share. I think that they actually do have quite a few fans per year because they're successful. They've so so much success and such talented players in recent years so a lot of people getting into the game have chosen to back city so they they have supporters here but not over in the stadiums as much where it counts um and they always get clowned on for that but yeah it is interesting pep hyped up southampton and was like it's going to be a tough game like we need the supporters there and part of me just thinks like 
he always has such nice things to say about us, but I think it's because we go to City and we play open and we try to outscore them, which is generally not a good idea, as you can see from Leipzig's 6-3 loss. Um, you can't outscore City. If you want a lesson in how to beat City, you look at Spurs, you park that fucking bus as hard as possible, and you go for a 1-0. That's it. Exactly. That's how you beat City. So, yeah, you gotta sit back and hope that you get the chance. And that they don't make any mistakes, or that you don't make any mistakes, and that they, they they aren't at their best, basically. Uh, I would say the, not the biggest result, but the most like impressive result to me in the UCL this week was, uh, Bayern going to Barcelona and just stomping them, just and you can see this as another year that Bayern's just like, because they've done it before a number of times where. When Bayern wins the Champions League, they don't just win it. They humiliate teams. They they get potch-fired and, and ruin my, my soccer-watching life. I mean, got a little personal there, but they they go and beat Barcelona 7-2. What's it 7-2? It's 8-2, eight, eight right? Yes. Big, big win. But yeah, yeah Bayern stomped. Barca. I mean, Barcelona, you can say they're not in a great place right now, which is true, but they still have a very talented squad, and to lose 3-0 at Camp Nou, I mean, that, that shows Bayern are looking good again, and uh, I do like, I mentioned to Leroy Sané, he's found a lot of joy playing back on the right again, um, as opposed to, is that right? Well, right instead of the left? He's playing on the natural side now instead of playing as an inverted winger, and he's finding a lot more success there. So it's nice to see him back to that. Yeah, I, I don't even think Sané ever deserved to get dropped from City. He just did. Yeah, I think he got injured, and then he just couldn't work his way back in. Or he was like, yeah, I'm not doing this pep roulette bullshit where a different winger starts every week because they have five of the top ten wingers in the world or whatever. Yeah. And he wanted more consistent playing time as well as being a German player. I feel like most German players' dreams are just to end up at Munich, which is the top of, you know, the Bundesliga. So that definitely comes into play. Um, an interesting result, PSG, who we've spoken very highly of and basically declared our clear favorites before the season started, they started Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe up front and tied 1-1 to Club Bruges and were really disappointing. They did not look good. Yeah. yeah. Like, they did not look convincing, at least. Like, I, I, there's plenty of potential in that side, but they, I, I was, like, a little disappointed. I, I mean, Noah Lang got man of the match in a game with all those players. And all the credit to him, he looks like he's going to be quite the player one day. Um, sure, sure, well, even yeah. now, um, just you would have expected better of PSG. Yeah, it's interesting because Sean and I will, are both fans of Poch, I would say. I think he's a good manager, but it kind of looked like they have three three of the three best attackers in the world. Literally, like all three of those players are top five in the world, hands down, like undebatably. Um, and he basically just had them all sitting up front, chilling, and like you got to have players working off the ball a little bit more. I don't know, like tactically it's going to, take some adjustment or what's going to make it work with these absolute superstars. Cause like the talent is undeniable with that team. It's just figuring out how to make it click. Right. 
So yeah, that's a PSG Club Bruges. Uh, shout out to the Belgians for getting that result. Yeah, they let's not take anything away from the Belgians. They did play a really good game, but I mean that PSG team should be stomping just about anybody. I guess uh, another match we could talk about is Dortmund versus Besiktas. Uh, and, you know, it was a 2-1 win for Dortmund. Okay, um, nothing super crazy. But the real impressive part about this match was Jude Bellingham. Like, this dude's – he's starting to look generational. Like, th- this guy's incredible. Goal, assist, winning duels, completing dribbles, passes – uh, you name it, he was all over the place, and he looks like an absolute stud. And what is he, 18? Yeah, he's he's ridiculous. He's the next one out of the lake. Dorman's going to sell Holland for $100 million, and they're going to sell him for $100 million. I mean, that's what they do. Right. That's how Dortmund operate. But, I mean, what a talent he is. And credit to them for the way they develop players. It's incredible. Yeah, and I think it's actually, like, some people are like, you got to hold on to your players or whatever, but it is in a way kind of smart because they now have this deal where they can promise all of the top talents, like, hey, you come here, you play for whatever years, if we get an acceptable fee for you, we'll move you on wherever you want, we're not going to hold you back, we're not going to hold you hostage, and that allows them to get the very top talent, even if it's just temporary they can always continue to get that talent and they're always making a huge profit. So it is a pretty smart model. I mean, they got to stop selling players to Bayern, but yeah, that's the only thing for me is, is they, they do such a good job. It's like so similar to Lester, but at the end of the day, I mean, besides, I guess, Mares to city and drink water to Chelsea. Not that that move ever really mattered. Oh, and I guess Conte to Chelsea as well. Like, Leicester aren't typically in the business of like, you know, oh, well, uh, Tielemans comes in a couple of years and he's going to go to City. I mean, that could happen. But uh, at least they do hold on to their players a little bit better than Dortmund do, I feel. Um, Dor- and the other thing with Dortmund is I do feel like they inflate the market a little bit. But I mean, hey, so did we. Like when you have a great player, you want every little bit that he's worth to you and more. You know, that is interesting. When you say inflate the market, it is, like, I've always thought of that as a bad thing, but uh, I've been thinking about it. Actually, like, okay, City spent 100 mil and they buy Jack Grealish. And then Villa spent 30 mil and buy Danny Ings from Southampton. And then Southampton go and spend 15 mil and buy Adam Armstrong for uh, from Blackburn. So it's like it is inflating the market, but in a way it's injecting cash throughout the market all the way down the pyramid. So like it's true at in a way it can be good. Like it's hard to approach the same levels of investment. So maybe it makes the gap from the top to the bottom bigger, but it is injecting money around um, the entire pyramid. That's true. I think it more just bothers me in specific cases like, like Usman Dembele is a perfect example, and that one's as much on Barcelona as it is yeah, Dortmund yeah. for pushing for that to be like an 100 million euro bid or whatever it was. Like he wasn't, he was a very promising talent at the time, but he was not that good, and and he was injury prone at that time too. Like I think I'm pretty sure he was his whole career fairly injury prone. So I I think that was not smart business by Barcelona, obviously, and that's why you lose Messi. But I also do think that uh, 
Dortmund definitely played played them like a fiddle. <laughs> As, yeah. But I mean, credit to them for that anyway. Like that's just that's good business on Dortmund's part. Credit to Dortmund's business. I mean, they they do smart business uh, financially, anyways, and I think that's kind of what Saints would like to be. Like Southampton is kind of trying to emulate the Dortmund strategy. It seems like signing really talented young talent to a lesser scale, less established, but then with the promise of you play here, you develop, and we'll move you on for a greater fee, and then the cycle continues. So yeah, for clubs without investment, it's like the only way to be sustainable in a way. I agree. That's why I find like Spurs investment so strange because they they could be that based on where we are in the table and the type of football. I mean, at least before Mourinho and now sort of Nuno played, like we could have offered the same exact thing. The thing is, is we have Daniel Levy and like we are not keen to sell players that we like like we're very keen to sell Musa Sissoko and Harry Winks but I mean you saw it like it was what what did the story come out this week the reason that Winks didn't move this summer was because Levy valued him at like 40 million like <laughs> Jesus Christ he is not yeah even there's worth nothing 20. to suggest he's worth even half that at this point the one game against Madrid gives him like a 15 million pound starting value. And then the England oh. international, it gives him like another, five, like 20. If you got 20 and offer for 20 million for Harry Winks, I'd be like, oh my God, sure. Yeah. But I mean, like, no, that is an interesting point you bring up. Cause like, obviously if you're a young talented player and you, you're not sure, like you want to commit your future to Tottenham, like you might be hesitant to go there. If you look at like, Harry Kane's situation or Tongi and Dombele, for example, like Oh, Tongi's a perfect example. I I I believe part of his issue is that he at least as reported by Alistair Gold, who is quite literally the finest Tottenham reporter, and in my opinion, just one of the best football journalists out there. If you follow Spurs or follow the Premier League, he is a Spurs fan and he is very much not biased. He he's very partial, but if if you do want to get a listen on some of like the inner workings of transfers and stuff like that and like the contact he's really fascinating like i i definitely would sorry i don't know why this turned into an alistair gold uh just plug but like actually uh it, really great journalist and he does some awesome stuff like i would say as good to follow as fabrizio romano especially for spurs stuff he's great yeah he does good stuff um but yeah, obviously, you, Sean will tell you Tongi and Dombele is great, and he deserves to be playing every week. And you'll be like, "Oh well, what does he know? He's a biased Spurs fan or whatever." But no, like, I've seen, when every time I watch the dude play, I'm like, "Why is this guy not playing 90 minutes every week?" Like, this is a generational midfield talent. He makes the game look so ridiculously easy. He just skips by players, plays effortless, like no look, first touch passes. You know, he'll, he'll he gives the ball moving fast because he'll he'll play the ball forward progressively and then he'll move and then he'll receive it progressively and he'll find that last pass and like he'll get into the box and he beats players on the dribble for fun. Like this this guy is a phenomenal talent and he should be playing week in and week out. That that's for me the biggest thing with him and I think actually the most frustrating thing for me with him is a lot of people around Spurs will say. 
I mean, even the people that report, like even the Alistair Golds, I just said the best, like they, there's a, there's, I feel like there is a media narrative around him that is totally unfair. He's okay. He's similar to the Pogba in the sense that he does not always look like the highest work rate player. And he looks like his body language, like he looks dejected when he gets tackled and like he, he can like, you know, have a little fit here and there. Like he's a very emotional player. He look, you can see, and I think people pick on this. And I think now several managers have Mourinho, then Mason, now Nuno have, have benched him for his work rate. And it's been, it's become this talking point when, I don't think any Spurs fan or any realistic Spurs fan would, or anybody that's watched us play would disagree. He's literally never played a poor, he had one game he got taken off, but I, I, I think we were playing a five, two, three against Norwich and he had Oliver skip who was playing his first Premier League game beside him. And it was just a joke, but uh, he, he's other than that, he's never played a poor game and he's very often the best player on the pitch and the stuff that he can do, I don't know if anybody else in the Premier League can do like you were saying, like the way he beats players, the way he sees things, and especially when Spurs lack as much creativity as they do, it's ridiculous that he's not playing 90 minutes every single week. He is an absolute, absolutely a generational talent. He's even in the Premier. I've I've never seen anybody who can do what he can do. Yeah, I mean. He's just one of those. I mean, he's one of the most naturally talented, naturally gifted footballers in the world, let alone the Premier League. So, yeah, keep an eye out for Tongi and Dumbele. Uh, hopefully he'll get a good run in with the team now after playing against Wren in the Europa Conference League this week. And looked great. Looked great. He, he did everything that he, he usually does. I mean, we didn't look great in the game, but... I feel like uh, another thing I mentioned to you earlier was uh, I feel like something people forgot about like the whole like ridiculous season Kane just had was no look no further than that back heel he fed Kane before Kane uh, spread that beautiful pass out to Mora and then the shot got deflected in for the first goal. But so often Tongi was the one to bring the ball from our pitiful defense and give it to Kane who then spread like a pass out for the counter, but it was always Tongi that broke the the press or made the ball in. It was always Tongi. Yeah, and if you're bored, you can look up some Tongi and Dumbale highlights. He's got a gross highlight pack. He's one of those players that's just like a, a moving highlight reel, so would highly recommend that. Um, another player who's like that, Alan St. Maximin, who is just way too good to be playing at Newcastle. He's way is too good. Saucy. He is full of sauce. Like he's I would I if I were a Newcastle fan, I wouldn't care about all of the issues just because I get to watch this guy every week. Like I mean the results suck, but like he's something else, man. Dude, it's the you, you with the headband, you're different gravy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah, he actually he wears a headband. He used to wear a Gucci headband, but he got in trouble for the, the branding, I believe. Uh, but I, I bring up Alan St. Maximine because uh, earlier today, it's it's Friday at the time of recording, I just finished watching um, 
Newcastle won, Leeds won, in a ridiculous game, like just completely end-to-end, uh, all vibes, max vibes. Mike Dean, masterclass oh, yeah. referee. Uh, <laughs> and Alan St. Maximin scored a nice goal. Like he, he just sits players down and slots it so hard in the back of the net. Like he's, he's just a ridiculous player. Free my guy. He doesn't belong at Newcastle. He's great. But yeah, Leeds on the other hand, Leeds are, are struggling at the moment. And, you know, I, I'm worried for them. I think a lot of it down is down to, uh, lack of player availability like they're struggling with injuries and suspensions and you know I look at the I looked at the bench tonight and uh, I'll, I'll read off some names from the bench and Sean you tell me if you know how many of these players you know um Klassen, Cresswell, Shackleton, Kenny, McCarron, Somerville, McKinstry, Greenwood and not Mason Greenwood the superstar from Manchester United obviously and then Tyler Roberts, who would be the only player that I would have recognized uh, before the hand on that bench. That's not Aaron Cresswell? From... No, it is not Aaron Cresswell. It's a different one? Okay. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's not Mason Greenwood, and it's not Aaron Cresswell. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Yeah. So, yeah, in, in the way they play, you really can't be losing players to injury and you need depth you and the weird thing about them is you'd think that they'd go out and like okay you're not gonna like play super defensively so maybe not like invest a ton of money in a center back but maybe at least like make sure ailing is not playing because he's awful like truly awful and like Literally every time I watch Leeds play, I'm like, wow, they are so good. Like, it's, this is the progression of watching Leeds play. Oh my god, look at, like, fuck yeah, Pielsla, like, look at how full of intent and aggressive they are. And, like, Harrison's running at you, and Dallas is running at you, and Rafinha's just, you know, pulling the strings. And, and, then, and then Ailing gives up the ball, and they're down 1-0. Yeah. And then and then they score and then a- and then Ailing gives up the ball again and they're down two one. You see, I'm I'm conflicted on Ailing. I I kind of rate Ailing actually, but uh, I'm not sure. That's the thing. He he's not like he does strike me as a good footballer. The thing is, is that it it's because he's a good footballer, and I think maybe like the same way that uh, um, you know, sometimes a center back that's that's good on the ball gets caught on the ball, and I right. think that's kind of his and he in the system that he plays like if you do lose the the ball there's absolutely nothing that anybody can do it's like if he loses the ball it's now like a two-on-one with the other defender and the keeper or sorry not the keeper and the the, uh, attackers uh, i don't really rate any of Leeds center backs that highly i think they they kind of struggle to nail down like a, a good solid uh, center back pairing like Liam Cooper I don't I think Liam Cooper's worse than Ailing personally like I, I think Ailing's decent and Cooper isn't great I mean he shows he shows at times that he's good but then they have Pascal Stroik like I mean that guy's not very good uh, Robin Cook was their big center back signing last season I don't know if he's injured or what but I I, I think he's injured because he was pretty good last year Robin yeah Cook. 
yeah, so so if he's out, then yeah, there's the depth issues there. They're still fun to watch, though. I actually, I know you, I know you rate Rafinha. He's great, great player. I actually, I actually think the most entertaining player on their team is Jack Harrison. I think he's ridiculous. Oh like, yeah. And I think didn't he have like nine goals and like eight assists? Like he had a pretty good tally yeah. last year. Like. Double digits with combined goals and assists for sure. Yeah, he was out with COVID today. That was another big miss. Oh, was he? So they had Dan James in there, but uh, yeah, no, no Jack. They had they had to play Matush Click, your favorite. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, um, Leeds struggling, slow start to the season, dealing with a lot of depth issues, maybe a little bit of second season slump. Yeah, I would I mean, say so. I th- not maybe it's not entirely their fault, but yeah. I think it's also hard to keep up the intensity that they play with with a lot of with the lack of depth. I mean, we saw a lot of that with Spurs back in the day when they, you know, in the days of finishing Champions League with Poch, like they had a great starting 11, but keep in mind like the first replacement if like Moussa Dembele and Wanyama got hurt was putting friggin' Eric Dyer in at center defensive mid, like what the fuck? Like, think about that now, knowing what we know, and just what a ridiculous concept that is. Like, a struggling center back used to be the first, like, like the third choice CDM at a team that was finishing second in the Premier League, or third in the Premier League. Any, uh, so that was, that was today's game, since Friday. Uh, any predictions for the rest of the, the fixtures this weekend? Premier League? Um... I'm I'm genuinely worried based on like I mean did you watch all the Palace game or Yeah, I I saw like at least the second half which was definitely enough. Oh, the second half was something <laughs> bad. Yeah. Uh, I mean from like so like Tongi played a great game midweek but you know knowing what we know about his fitness issues I did air quotes there, just so because you can't like show that in sound. It's I don't know that he'll get a start against Chelsea on Sunday, though. Despite the fact that we quite literally desperately need him to play that game, and I'm genuinely worried. Like, is Nuno gonna put out a formation that has fucking three center defensive mids in again? <laughs> like, that that is just. Like, you know, I gave him credit for, like, I tried to be like, he's not a B-Tech Mourinho. Like, like, come on, man. You can't go out after I say that and then play three center. I don't even know. The only other person I've ever seen play three center defensive midfielders at once was Tony Pullis the first time I ever visited White Hart Lane and made it a 1-1 draw and ruined our chances of winning the league and Leicester won that year. Good for them. But, like... Literally, it was my first time in, in the UK, and I was seeing my favorite team play in the last or second to last year that White Hart Lane existed, and Tony Pullis fucking parked it hard with a like 5-3-2 with three center defensive midfielders. Piece of shit. And then Nuno goes out and does a Pullis. Tanganga loses his mind and tries to kill Wilfred Zaha, gets sent off. And then he does nothing. Like, we go down and he just does nothing. He's just like, okay. And then he puts on Ben Davis. Ben Davis con- uh, concedes a penalty, then doesn't mark Edward well enough, gives up another goal. And she's like, okay. And it's like, two, it's like, it still does nothing for like 10 minutes. 
and then they score again. And he's like, yeah, nice. You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, do I mean, something. Yeah, that was that was pretty sad to watch. But like, as a Spurs fan, it was. I thought it was really cool to see Odson Edward come on and score two goals with like his first oh, two yeah, touches. For sure. And I think there's a little bit of that debut magic. I I always think like I pay extra attention to like a new signing coming out for the first time because there's just something about it where like. I noticed that players tend to have like some boost of scoring chance on their debut. Like it, it happens a lot. Like even like a center back will randomly get like the one goal of their last 300 matches just because it's their debut. Does it seem that yeah. way to you, or do I just remember it because it's no, a, especially a for attackers. Like they, it seems like they come on like they're trying very much to impress the the uh, the. I I mean. A lot of Spurs fans don't rate Steven, or Prem fans even, don't rate Steven Bergwijn. Like, what happened? What did he do on his debut? He scored a ridiculous volley to beat Silly. Uh, silly. City, or uh, Sun scored after that. It was 2-0 that game. But he scored that great volley to beat City. Or, uh, yeah, you got Edward scoring two on his debut. Like, I, yeah, I swear it happens very often. I think that's pretty accurate. Okay. Well, I'm glad it's not just like some kind of bias of just remembering like the time it did happen because it does seem like it happens a lot to me. Um, but yeah, predictions for Chelsea Tottenham. I think it's going to be boring. If I'm honest, I like two very talented teams. Chelsea have been doing really well. Lukaku's an animal. I'd be terrified. I'm terrified for when we have to play Chelsea. Um, but Tuchel's tendency to sit in a low block and Nuno's tendency to sit back and counter so far. Uh, I think it, it's going to be one Oh Chelsea. And I, it's gonna, I it's, it's gonna, gonna be, be one of those. It's gonna be like when you're playing foosball and you drop the ball in the middle and you can't quite reach it with either of the middle guys, and then they're just gonna sit like that's just me the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> like just like you, no, you coming like we're gonna counter you. No, 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 we're gonna counter you, and like the refs just gonna be sitting there like is someone gonna take the ball or that's gonna be the whole game. Harry Winks is going to be playing Tiddlywinks, just like cross-legged with Oliver Skip in the midfield, just like playing Tiddlywinks. Because <laughs> he's Harry Winks. Harry Winks the Tiddlywinks. I swear to fucking God if he starts. Uh, okay, but in all seriousness, if Son and Ndombele play, I think either a draw, potentially a win for Spurs because it's at home and the atmosphere will probably be electric. Um, Son is a guarantee to start as far as I know he's back from injury um, and Dumbele again like he, he could play but it could be a fitness thing but uh, I, I guarantee he'll come off the bench um, so I, I will say I'm thinking probably a 1-1 or a 2-2 alright thoughts and prayers for your boys this weekend uh, Southampton are taking on Manchester City at the Etihad uh, and I believe that Manchester City have won their last at least two, it might be three games at home by the score of a combined score of ten to nil in the last two. Um, I mean they've won, they've scored five plus goals in their last three games at home. Ah, uh, I'm not expecting us to win. Uh, I'm gonna go for like an optimistic three-one loss. Yeah. But it could very easily be like six or seven on our heads, and we might score two or three, but they it'd be like seven to three or or six to two, um, if we try to be smart and outscore them again like we did last season in the five two, 
I mean, you just can't outscore City, so, uh, yeah. I mean, we do sometimes look all right against City. We got a 1-0 win against them not too long ago, but that did yeah. involve a, about a 50-yard Shea Adams chip over Ederson, who was off his line, and then sit back and pray to every single religion's gods for 70 minutes, so... I don't know, it's possible crazier things have happened, but yeah, thoughts and prayers with Sean and I this weekend. It's, it might be a tough one. Um, it's gonna, it's going to be a tough one. You got any other random results for the fixtures this weekend? I'm not even sure. I, I, I've just been busy with work. I'm not even sure I got a good... No worries. I got a good one. Okay, this is, this is for the pod. Uh, Burnley play Arsenal this weekend. Oh. And Sean Deitch... Just signed a new contract extending till 2024. He's got that contract boost. I think Burnley beat Arsenal 2-1 to one in an absolute shithousery Sean Dyche pub masterclass. Chris Wood to score both goals, of course, and the own goal for uh, Arsenal. So three goals, but one own goal, two goals. Chris Wood hat trick. Um, <laughs> Burnley win 2-1. <two>, <laughs> um... I think that's pretty accurate. I actually think it's going to be 7-0, all <laughs> seven goals to Chris Wood. First, he's going to score a bicycle kick off the kickoff. He's just going to flick it up to himself and just fucking hammer it, bar down. And then he's going to score four, sorry, four, six more times by quite literally headbutting the ball and all 11 of Arsenal's players into the net at the same time. Six different times he's going to do this. Because he's Chris Wood, but more realistically, I think I think a, a one nil or a two one, and Chris Wood is for sure. Chris Wood is absolutely bagging against like in all like in in a very serious prediction. Chris Wood is bagging this weekend against Arsenal. Yes, sir. All right, and and remember, Sean and I were recording this Friday the seventeenth. So when you listen to it, you'll be in the future. This is past. So we're making these predictions in the past. So you in the future get to listen to these predictions. And when Burnley wins 7-0 from seven Chris Wood headers, just know, like, we didn't cheat. This is three days yeah, ago. Yeah, like that episode about the transfer deadline or whenever, like the transfer episode when I said, I think Harry Kane's going to stay. And then it probably came out, like, days after that. And he had announced he's going to stay. And I'm just like, Fuck. That that had been recorded before that happened. Now I can just kind of look like an idiot. Yeah. So now we have to we have to mark our we have to timestamp our our hot takes. So I guess that's how you know we're we're at the end of the pod when you start to hear us chatting shit about Burnley and Chris Wood, the goat, best player in the league. Yeah, he's got to win the Ballon d'Or. He keeps getting robbed. I, it's ridiculous. Did you see when they posted Burnley's like third kits on the Premier League Instagram the other day? And they're actually pretty fresh. Like they're, they're, nice. Nice. they're nice. I'm rocking with and, them. And and I was just like, it's fucking Chris Wood, the legend. I wanted to post it on the on our uh, on our Instagram. Just like we need more Premier Chris, League. Knows. Chris Wood prop on the Insta. We need to get. We need to up our social media game. We do. Well, we'll get there. We're get, we're. It's all a work in progress. You know, Rome exactly. wasn't built in a day. Chris Wood prop wasn't built overnight. We got to dedicate some real time to that man. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. As always, if you made it to the end, appreciate it. Stay tuned for more. Guten Tag. That means goodbye, right? <laughs>
Yeah, we're going. I think it might be good night, but or good day. I don't know. Yeah, fucking whatever. <laughs> all right. Take care, all. Peace.